This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions and conclusions. Please talk to your healthcare team regarding your specific situation. Hello and welcome to the Speak I Know podcast. I'm your host, Nee Gutenfelder. Today's topic is focused on genetic counseling. It is a topic that may be brought up when a family is impacted by cancer. And to help us have a better understanding so we can have more knowledgeable conversations is Kelly Johnson. Kelly is a certified genetic counselor with experience particularly in cancer genetics and cardiovascular genetics. She received her master's in genetic counseling and master's in public health genetics from the University of Pittsburgh in 2016. She has been a genetic counselor here in Dallas for almost four years. She is also an active member of the National Society of Genetic Counselors and the Texas Society of Genetic Counselors. She is passionate about helping patients and their families understand the benefits and implications of genetic testing. We're excited to have you join us, Kelly. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to be here. Kelly, if we could start off by finding out a little bit about you, could you briefly tell us um, how you decided to pursue genetic counseling as a career? Yeah, so I am originally from Maryland and have been in Dallas for almost four years now. I went to um, University of Maryland for undergraduate degree and studied cell bio and molecular genetics and always had the intention of going into more of the research side of genetics and actually worked at a summer camp that worked with adults with special needs and just really fell in love with that population and just the people side of genetics and had learned about genetic counseling in high school and just had at that point decided to to pursue it so went to grad school at University of Pittsburgh and received a master's in public health genetics and genetic counseling and then have moved to Dallas since then. So it's been good. It's an exciting career to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And welcome to Texas. Thank you. (laughs) Would you be able to share with us why is genetic counseling important and in what situations would an individual see a genetic counselor? Yeah, so I think genetic counseling is important because genetics is very complicated and it's not getting simpler, it's getting more complicated. The more people want to know genetic information, the more tests there are, the more genes that we know, it gets more and more complicated. And most physicians are are not as familiar with genetics as, you know, we would hope that they would be ordering genetic testing. And so genetic counselors are really kind of that in-between of a specialist and professional that's trained in genetics that can explain complicated um, information to patients, but also interpret complicated results and explain that to their physicians as well and kind of be a part of the team that gets a game plan going for patients and helps figure out how and what this means for the family. So a couple different things or reasons that people would see genetic counselors for is there's different specialties of genetic counseling. There's um, cancer genetic counseling, which is what I do primarily. There's cardiovascular genetic counseling. There's prenatal, pediatric, neurology. The list is growing, but those are kind of the big ones so far. There are a lot of different specialties. I mm-hmm. had never was never aware of that. Yeah. Would you be able to tell us what is the goal of genetic counseling? The goal of genetic counseling is really to help patients and their families be informed on how this testing could impact their health and their other family members 
and how it could potentially give us more insight to what they're at risk for and use that to our best advantage and hopefully make sure that we're watching everyone as effectively as possible, giving people the tools to take care of their health and make sure that they're being managed appropriately. But we also know that this is a lot of information sometimes, a lot of implications. It's not just your normal blood test. It can impact the family for generations. So we want to make sure people aren't going into it lightly and they fully understand and are okay with all the potential information that we could get back. So if an individual decides to move forward with testing and it comes back with a genetic mutation, what does that mean and what are some of the possible outcomes? Yeah, um, so with, uh, you know, certainly we're talking mostly about the cancer side of things. If we found the genetic mutation, that would most likely explain someone's personal or family history of cancer. So at least we have kind of an answer to, to cling to. It could let us know how best to treat someone's cancer potentially, and if there's certain chemos that might be more effective, or if there's certain surgeries that would be more warranted because we know what they're at risk for. And it also lets us know if there are other types of cancers past their current cancer that they're at risk for and what we would need to do to reduce that risk as much as possible or prevent it altogether and then give all that information to other family members as well and do the same thing with them. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important piece just to have the information to decide how to move forward. Yes, on the breast cancer side of things, that's a big one with surgery because We'll do genetic testing sometimes for people before they've decided what type of surgery they want to do on their breast, whether they just want to take the tumor out, whether they want to remove one breast or both breasts. But if we know that they have an increased risk for a second breast cancer down the line, they may choose to do a double mastectomy to, re to remove both breasts as a way to essentially prevent a second breast cancer as much as possible. Kelly, could you explain, so why would someone want to know the results? Yeah, so, so kind of what we were talking about, information can definitely be power in this situation. It can be overwhelming to get a positive result or find a genetic mutation, but that's information that you know, we can use as to our advantage and it can you know, really use to better the health and prevent cancers in you know, that person, but also all of their family members, mm -hmm. and can, can use that to kind of guide our steps for, for them, but also for their physicians to make sure that we're watching them as best as possible, and making sure that we're, we're being proactive with this mm -hmm. information, not necessarily treating it on the back end once cancer has been diagnosed. And then just to touch on the flip side, because you had mentioned you know, it can impact future generations, what are some other reasons why someone may not want to know? Yeah, so it's always a personal decision, which is why we want to go into this information in detail, because there are people that just don't want to know. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because they don't think it's going to change anything for them. And, and in some cases, it doesn't change things drastically. Some people know that this information is going to worry them for the rest of their lives, and they're not going to be able to cope with that information. And right. This is not meant to ruin someone's life. It's not meant to haunt them for the rest of their life. It's meant to empower them. And if they don't think that's going to do that, then maybe testing is not appropriate for them. Other people know that their family members wouldn't want this information. And so they'd rather not give their family members information that they don't want to know. So it's something that each person takes this a little bit differently and processes it a little bit differently. And we just want to make sure people know beforehand as opposed to doing the testing without they really knowing what to expect and then regretting that and then not being able to unknow what right. we find. So it sounds like it's very much a case-by-case -case basis and 
a, a very personal decision. It is, it is. And even the testing is very case by case because not one genetic test is perfect for everybody. We tailor the testing to what we're seeing in the family history and what the concerns are. So it's all very much case by case. Okay. Um, just briefly, could you talk about the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, also known as GINA? Mm -hmm. what, what is it? What does it protect or what does it not protect? Yes. So GINA is a federal law that was enacted in 2008. It is separate from Obamacare. It's its own separate law. It is a law that helps uh, reduce the risk of discrimination by insurance, so health insurance, and employers. So if someone got a positive genetic testing result and say had a BRCA mutation, their employer wouldn't be able to fire them if they found out about that information. Their health insurance would not be able to increase premiums or drop them or deny more services because they knew that they would be at a higher risk. If anything, health insurance is going to cover more things because it's warranted at that point. And honestly, from a, a health insurance side of things, they'd rather prevent cancer and screen for it than they would treat cancer. Because it's very expensive. It is. So it's in their best interest to want to do those things. So it is a very good law. It protects a lot of families. And that's something that before that law, many people were afraid to get genetic testing because they were afraid that they would lose their life or their health insurance. Mm -hmm. There are a couple limitations to this law. It's not a perfect law. It does not extend to life insurance short or long-term disability insurance, military insurance, and some government insurances. So typically if people have those things already, they are grandfathered into those policies. And there isn't a strong concern that they would lose them. It's only if people don't have those things and would want to apply for new policies that then they could ask about genetic testing and could potentially discriminate against that. Mm -hmm. Our biggest concerns are going to be for life insurance and military insurance. Life insurance, especially for young people who don't have life insurance, they don't even have any concerns about life insurance, they could get a positive result on genetic testing and then when they're ready in a couple years apply for life insurance and then be denied because they have a positive result, they're at a high risk for cancer. So we usually have a loophole and kind of recommend getting life insurance before someone gets genetic testing done. That way they have it in case they come back with a positive result. That's a really good point. Yeah, and so not something that people think about a lot and we just don't want people to be pigeonholed into not being able to get life insurance if that's something that they want. Right. And then with military insurance, especially active military, sometimes the military can see a positive result as a pre-existing condition mm -hmm. um, and that could impact people quite significantly if they're in the active military or even potentially veterans as well. So that's something that is a little bit more specialized and is a little bit more case by case as well. Thank you for touching on of that. Of course. Would you be able to speak about the link between hereditary breast and ovarian cancer? Yes. You know, there are about, at this point, there's about a hundred different genes that we know if they're not working in the body they can increase the risk for cancer. Mm -hmm. These are actually all genes that we all have and they're good genes because they actually do help prevent cancer when they're working correctly. So essentially what we're looking for with genetic testing is any genetic mutations that mean that the body can't prevent cancer the way that it's supposed to. And for each specific gene, there's kind of a cluster of cancers that it's, it's job to prevent. And so when there's a mutation in it, those cancers would be the ones that are at a higher risk. 
and there are several genes that can increase the risk for breast and ovarian cancer if they're not working correctly. So it's not necessarily that those two types of cancers are connected to each other, it's that the gene that helps prevent those cancers is not working, and so each of those are independently at a higher risk. Thanks for clarifying mm -hmm. on that. Kelly, could you tell us in the overall scheme of things, what percent of cancers are a result of genetic mutations? We think about 10%. It's a little bit different for different types of cancers. So ovarian cancer, it could be as high as around 20 to 25% of ovarian cancers or something that's hereditary. But overall with cancer, we think about 10% would have a genetic mutation if we did genetic testing, mm -hmm. which is why not anyone, not everyone that has cancer is, is recommended to have genetic testing because for most of those people the chance of us finding something is going to be very very low it's only if we're seeing kind of red flags in the family that would be concerning for a genetic condition that we would kind of look a little bit further and do a more in-depth evaluation mm -hmm. so if an individual has a family member who has cancer does it make a difference whether it is a sibling versus a grandparent or an aunt uncle um, that's a good question. So it, it's really just how close they're related. So first degree relatives would be parents, siblings, children. We share half of our DNA with them. So we're a little bit more concerned about that than say a great aunt that we share less of our DNA with because they're a little bit more far ex extended. Potentially multiple generations would be a little bit more concerning because say we had all siblings that all had cancer, um, but they all grew up in the same environment and had the same exposures. That could be a little bit more environmental factors, whereas if we have multiple generations of different time periods, different cities, that could potentially be a little bit more concerning. But overall, just any close relatives is something that we look for um, and just look at any patterns that we can see in the family. Okay. To kind of look at the overall big picture. Exactly, and exactly. I think it highlights the point too that it's very important to discuss about our health and issues such as cancer with our family members mm -hmm. so that they have that knowledge to share with their medical yes. team. Yes, and, and I can't tell you how many people I've asked some of these questions and they just don't know because you know a few generations back they didn't ask those things they didn't talk about cancer and I know that it's it's difficult to talk about things like you know what did we find on your last colonoscopy with your uncle or you know talking about a difficult time when they lost a family member but it is something that it is important to know that information because it could impact you know, you, but it can also impact kind of future generations as well. I can say for with my personal experience in our family, we didn't really talk about mm -hmm. cancer or the family history much before I was diagnosed. Yeah. And so it's something that sometimes it, it, it's not until someone is diagnosed that that's really when it's talked about a little bit more and just a, a new wave of um, transparency. Mm -hmm. So if family members do decide to get testing, is it important for them to get tested with the same lab? And what if it's not feasible? Like if they live in different states, different mm -hmm. locations? So it is usually preferred to send to the same lab. And the reason is because 
different labs can have different classifications of genetic variants or genetic mutations. So potentially one lab could call something a positive result and another lab could call it something called a variant of uncertain significance or kind of an inconclusive result. And that's kind of what we're most afraid of is that if it goes to different labs, they would call it different things and it would not be a clear cut answer for that family member. Um, so we try to send it to the same lab. You don't have to be in the same city for it to go to the same lab because most of the labs that we send to are not in the same city as us. Okay. Um, you know, right now a lot of labs are in California, Utah, East Coast, so there's not a ton, but they're all kind of over the place. Sometimes it does get in the way with insurances because some labs may be in network with some labs and not others. So that we do get into a little bit of confusions and it gets a little bit more complicated. In those cases, we, we do typically just want to make sure that each lab is calling a variant the same thing just mm -hmm. to be consistent, even if they don't necessarily have that comparison of the other family member to compare it to. Okay, that makes sense. Now in the beginning, Kelly, you had you stated that the area of genetic testing is becoming more complex. If an individual, say, they were tested 10 years ago, what would typically happen? Like, do does an individual just get tested once and they're good, or is it, you know, after a certain number of years, it's ideal to get retested? Yeah, so um, it depends on what they were tested for when they had testing done before. Nowadays, when people say they had testing done 10 years ago, they usually just mean that they had genetic testing for the BRCA genes, or BRCA1, BRCA2, which were at that time and still are the most common causes of hereditary cancer, and hereditary breast and ovarian cancer in particular. But back then, the, the cost of testing was so high that they had to kind of pick their best bet and pick which genes were more likely and only test those. Now the test, the cost of testing has come down so dramatically that we're able to do a more wide set and more comprehensive tests all at once. So we usually recommend that people who've only had testing for the BRCA genes do come in for more comprehensive testing in case we miss something that we weren't testing for when they only had the BRCA testing done. Is it something that insurance would typically cover? And if not, would you be able to share with us what is the approximate cost of yeah. getting testing done? So if someone still has um, kind of some concerns in their family history that would warrant that additional testing, it is usually something that we can get testing uh, insurance companies to, to cover testing. If they don't cover it, and some, some insurances don't, the cost of testing has come down quite substantially. Now, self-pay price for testing is about $250. So it's come down from a couple thousands of dollars you know several years ago that reduces the the burden of the finance part of things yes that's come down <laughs> it has uh, several years ago I got tested and it was around a couple thousand mm -hmm, dollars mm -hmm. yeah big difference a big difference <laughs> also Kelly so nowadays there are a number of direct-to-consumer testing such as 23andMe and Ancestry could you share your thoughts on that yes yeah, so this is um, a common question that we get asked and it's always an interesting conversation. As a genetics professional, I can tell you that I wouldn't do that on myself or family members if that gives you any kind of inkling. With those testing, there's a couple things that 
you have to be aware of. Um, one is that it is testing or potentially is testing some health things, but that may not be very comprehensive testing. So for example, 23andMe recently added on a few of those BRCA gene mutations. However, they only test for three mutations out of thousands of BRCA mutations. And it's only if someone has Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry that we would really be concerned about those three mutations. So if someone has a strong family history of breast cancer, and says, I'm gonna do 23 Me to figure out if I have a BRCA mutation, but they're not Jewish ancestry, then really that test doesn't help us. Mm -hmm. But that's not very clear sometimes, and people just don't always know what they're getting from that test, but they also don't know what they're not getting from that test. And it is in fine print, but 23andMe and other companies are very open about this is not something that people should be using to make medical decisions. Anything that they find on 23andMe or, or similar tests need to be confirmed with more mainstream clinical testing. So it is just a little bit more complicated. I will say there are there's been cases of and, and articles of, of very high false positive rates on direct-to-consumer testing, so that's something that we deal with pretty often, is sometimes one of those labs will say there is a mutation, but when we do more confirmatory testing, we don't find those things. Um, so it is always something to, to meet with a genetic counselor about. And ultimately, if there is a family history or a personal history that would warrant testing, kind of going directly to clinical testing and to a genetic counselor is probably the best route to go, honestly. If people are curious and they want that information, then that, that's totally fine. Just be aware what they are getting, what they're not getting, and also just that they're giving the rights of their DNA to that company to potentially be sold. So read the consent forms. Read the fine print. Read the fine print. Okay, so Kelly, we'll wrap it up with this. Is, is there a case study that you could share with us walking through a patient's journey in regards to genetic counseling? Yeah, um, so we see so many different families and have so many different stories. It is hard to choose just one that would be a good example. One that I think I've been dealing with recently is a family that has a condition called Lynch syndrome, which um, it's typically thought to be a hereditary colon cancer, but it also increases the risk for uterine cancer and ovarian cancer, as well as other types of cancers. And we actually think it's a relatively common condition, seen in about one in 300 people potentially. And I saw a, a man of, of several months ago that had had a previous history of colon cancer and had a glioblastoma, which is a brain cancer, and both of those can be associated with Lynch syndrome. And he had genetic testing before he ever saw me, and he did have a genetic mutation that was consistent with Lynch syndrome. However, he was not English speaking, and it wasn't very well explained to the family. And um, unfortunately, he actually passed away from his glioblastoma, but that kind of shook the family, and it really motivated everyone to go get genetic testing. So I've seen about 10 of their family members wow. each for genetic testing. And we have found a few family members that have Lynch syndrome as well and are now going to get colonoscopies much more regularly, are considering having a hysterectomy as a way to reduce the risk of uterine or ovarian cancer. There have been other family members that had had a previous cancer diagnosis that we've been able to find an answer with because they also have Lynch syndrome. Mm -hmm. We're testing kids of these family members 
and you know some of the family members are in other countries that we're trying to get them coordinated there as well so I am very proud of that family because they have taken this personally and rightfully so and are really pushing everyone to make sure they're being proactive and being watched appropriately so that way no one else has to have the same prognosis and no one else has to be suffering as much from cancer. Um, so, so we do see these families all the time where this motivates them. This is kind of the, the push that they need to make sure that they're watching their own health and their own bodies appropriately, but they're also watching every family member as well. So that's just a small story. We have tons of families like that that are very motivated and motivating. Um, so, so I think it's something that makes makes us feel good in the moment that these people are okay hearing some of this sometimes hard information, but they're using it to make sure that they're being healthy and they're, they're being as proactive as they can be. Wow, well thank you so much for sharing that yeah. story because it is remarkable that they took such a devastating and terrible experience and they turn it around to be a more empowering one to change the path mm -hmm. of future family members and generations to yeah. come like you had mentioned earlier. And that's what the goal is. The goal is to change what the family history is looking like and, and change the, the loss that family members have had and hopefully prevent that from happening to other family members. And most of the people that come in, that's their goal. Their goal is not necessarily to worry about themselves is to worry about their kids and their family members because they don't want this to happen to anybody else. Right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for taking the time to be with us and sharing such valuable information and also breaking it down so that it's easy to understand. That's a big piece of it. <laughs> it is sometimes. I'm happy, happy to break it down a little bit more. Genetic counseling is definitely another resource we have to make better informed decisions, and we greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We also want to thank our listeners for being part of our podcast and your continued support. Please share this podcast with others that you think would benefit. Check out speakgyno.org for genetic counseling resource links. And if you have an interesting topic you would like featured on a future podcast or would simply like to give us some feedback, please email speakgyno at gmail.com. And as always, may we empower you, inspire you, and spark conversations. Mm -hmm.